Hey friends, producer Colleen here. Before we begin this week's episode, I have a plea. By now, Ruth's new book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, has been out in the world for a few weeks, and it has been so fun to hear from people who are really resonating with this book. I just want to encourage anyone who's read and loved Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest to leave a review, either on Goodreads or Amazon or wherever you bought the book. These reviews really do go a long way in helping people discover books. From Ruth and all of us at the Transforming Center, we are forever grateful for the support you've shown during this book launch season. We've felt it and we appreciate it so much. And now, here's our show. Hello and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Haley Barton, and this season we are talking about my new book, Embracing Rhythms of Work and Rest, From Sabbath to Sabbatical and Back Again. And we've turned a corner to start talking about leading a Sabbath community. We're camping out on this topic a bit, and today we have... Pastor Rich Velotis. Rich Velotis is the Brooklyn-born lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church, a large multiracial church in Elmhurst, Queens, with more than 75 countries represented. His award-winning book, The Deeply Formed Life, was released in September 2020, followed by his second book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, in July of 2022. In this conversation, Rich and I start out by talking about how new life has embedded the practice of Sabbath in their life together, as well as talking about their growing edge and how they are wrestling with some of the practical steps they can take to open the way for everyone to practice Sabbaths together, regardless of socioeconomic limitations. It's a truly stimulating conversation, and I pray that you enjoy it. Well, hey, Rich, I'm so glad to be having this conversation with you today about my new book. And for those who are tracking along with us in this season, we know that in chapter four of this book, I actually talk about discovering Sabbath in community and make a really clear and strong point that Sabbath was not given to individuals, that in its beginnings, in its origins, Sabbath was given by God. Well, first of all, it began with God that God lived in Sabbath rhythms before God gave it away to anyone else. But then when God called a people to himself, he gave them the Sabbath as a gift, but he gave it to them in community, not primarily as a privatized discipline. And I, I do think that one of the mistakes we've made in even thinking about the practice of Sabbath is that we think of it as a private discipline that I'm trying to figure out for myself. You're trying to figure it out for yourself. The church is very, very busy, but every, you know, people in the church are trying really hard, but the church's culture is not necessarily supporting it. So in chapter four, I write about discovering Sabbath in community. And so I wanted to begin, Rich, you know, you're a senior pastor of a busy church in New York City. How do you experience Sabbath as a communal discipline versus just a private one? How are you all experiencing that in your own community? Yeah, you know, uh, it's so good to be with you on this, Ruth, for a much needed conversation. I've been at New Life now for 14 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, the last nine years as uh, the senior pastor of our community. And 
I've been practicing Sabbath for 14 years. Part of that because when I was in the interview process, my predecessor, Pete Scazzaro, said to me in a diner in Queens, he said, the only way you'll get fired is if you don't practice Sabbath. Mm. And I thought, you mean if I don't work, I'll get fired? He said, no, if you don't practice Sabbath, because you won't have the life with God to sustain the work you're doing Mm -hmm. for God. Mm -hmm. And so New Life has been oriented for more than 20 years around Sabbath rhythms. And over the years, we have gone from seeing it as just an individualistic project, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, a practice, to embodying the communal dynamics and nature of it. And so I think this is an area where we have seen some wonderful fruit and ongoing complexity and struggle for a number of reasons. And so I I think one being where we don't all have the same schedule, number one. Mm -hmm. And the neighborhood, I've lived in Queens for eight years, uh, Brooklyn before that for 34 years. And being a part of a community where there's large Jewish community where they stop everything together and they go to worship together and the playground together and they're eating together. There's something beautiful about having the same sort of schedule. And so we've struggled along those lines, but I think we have seen the importance of it within our small groups, within our staff, within our elders, within our church as a whole, some much fruit. And so I'm happy to go into some of the specifics Mm -hmm. of it, but it's been fruit and lots of frustration. Yeah. Uh, over the years. Yes, fruit and frustration. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yes. Say a little bit more about your context. I mean, I know a lot of people will be familiar with your church, but say a little bit more about your church and its context, where yeah. you are and, you know, kind of what's what's unique in terms of the challenges of Sabbath in your own setting. Yes. Yeah, so we are in a, uh, what National Geographic called the most diverse zip code in the world. Mm. So Elmhurst, Queens, a church that has, you know, 12 to 1500 people as part of our community from all over the world. And but not just all over the world, there is significant socioeconomic diversity within our community. Mm -hmm. And so the biggest challenge that we have in our context is very simply this. There are lots of people who want to rest. There want to lots of people who want to keep Sabbath but they don't have the economic means to actually do that, which is why one of our, I think, growth areas that we're looking at in the next year, and we just had a conversation around this with some of our pastors, is how do we create a culture where everyone can rest? Yes. And part of that has to do with cultures of generosity, where we help each other rest. And then the larger realities of how do we work for a world in which people are paid fairly, where they can have a living wage, where it it does become a possibility for them to rest. But for us, we have moved more and more in terms of thinking of how do we help other people rest? One of the challenges of our church is there have been a lot of people who have rested together, but not everyone because of that economic disparity. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's an area that I think we have not paid the kind of attention we've needed to uh, and we've sent we're sensing you know a clear invitation from God to help as many people as we can who want to rest to find the rest that they need. But yeah. it's a beautiful, very diverse community, and that economic diversity makes it very challenging to really embody the kind of rest that we that our souls long for. Well, Rich, I am really, really glad that you've just gotten into the deep end of the pool here about economics, <laughs> uh, because yeah. I tried in to, to address this somewhat in my book because. 
there's there can be this sense that only people who are white collar workers or only people who are economically very secure or who have an agency to be able to tell their boss, I can't work on Sundays, that only those people can practice Sabbath. And that if it's really going to become a practice that we all get to practice together, we are going to have to pay attention to these economic realities and, and even economic differences. And that if the church isn't going to be a part of the solution, then I don't know where the solution is going to come from. Right. Absolutely right. And and that has become this, this big shift for us. And pa- as pastoring a church this diverse, I can't tell you how many times people have come up to me and say, Pastor Rich, I loved your sermon on Sabbath. Wow, what a vision. What life, what joy. But I'll never be able to do mm-hmm. it. And not because I don't want it, but because I have two jobs. Yes. Or I have three jobs. Half of Queens is foreign born, lots of first generation immigrants in our church, in our context here. If they don't work, they don't eat. That's right. And so we have had to really have larger conversations around what does it look like for us to have a space where everyone can can rest. You know, and when the, when the Sabbath is given and when we hear that everyone is resting, you know, pets are resting. Everybody's mm, that's exactly time. right. You know, it's 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 a communal thing here. And a question that I've been asking myself as a pastor is who's not able to rest in our church and what would it look like to say yes to God's invitation to help people enter into that kind of space? So what are you coming up with in terms of what you as men, we might, we could be jumping ahead of ourselves, except I'm so interested in what you're saying, because it's been a part of the underpinning of my own writing here is to try to grapple with this. And and I'll just say one thing about my own story with this. And that is that I, when I had an experience where when I was no longer on staff in a church, I went to church just as a normal person with my family, hoping that by being just a quote, normal person in a church that I might be able to practice Sabbath and then realize that the church's culture was not supporting it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was in terms of pace and all the scheduling that they did on Sundays, but you're bringing another level into it. And that is the church actually supporting people who feel that economically they cannot afford the Sabbath. And what is the church's role in that when when that reality becomes so apparent that people really can't because they won't be able to eat? How How does the church respond to that? How do you as a church, as you're starting to brainstorm this and identify this as a significant part of the issue, what are some of the ideas that you're considering as you think about this? Yeah, I mean, there's three layers I think about, and I think two of them are immediately actionable. The third one is one that we're wrestling with and trying to discern together. The first has to do with uh, what does it mean for the various communities that meet, small group communities that meet around our city? Uh, We have, you know, 50 to 60 groups that meet throughout New York City uh, in which there's lots of different diversity within those groups. And one of the questions we're asking is, what would it look like for these individual groups to cultivate generosity in such a way where those within their group can practice Sabbath? Uh, so what would, how can generosity lead in that direction? Mm-hmm. The other way is we have a community development corporation at New Life and uh, 10 programs, some of which are a health center that sees over 2,000 patients a year, after-school programming. And one of the things that we recently started maybe three years ago was something called success groups, which is really about financial empowerment. How do we create 
a culture where people are taking ownership and being resourced with capital to whether it's start businesses to help get out of debt, uh, but so that they can become financially more sustainable uh, so that they can come out of whatever hole they're in or can live with a greater sense of sustainability for the sake of rest. And so there's a theological, at least when in my preaching and my teaching, to talk about economic empowerment is not simply about uh, wanting to get a bigger car or a nicer house. It's, it's also rooted in how do we help people get to a place of stability where they can experience rest, where they can experience um, uh, freedom from the uh, really, uh, uh, you know, oppression of nonstop working, that if I don't work, um, I, I don't eat. Mm -hmm. The third thing has to do, oh, the third layer has to do with what does it look like for us as a church to think in, in terms of policy? Uh, you know, for example, um, one of the ways that we're involved in the life of our community with other churches is with regard to affordable housing. And we are moving in that direction that we just don't want to offer ministries of mercy and compassion, but we want to offer ministries of justice yeah. as well mm -hmm. so that people don't have to move out of places that they've lived in their entire lives. And I think all these things are connected to to rest in some form or fashion. Mm -hmm. But the first two, I think, are more actionable and easier to uh, quantify and see fruit, whereas a larger one is not. We're talking about larger political entities and powers and principalities yeah. <laughs> that are uh, not as easy to say than it's easier to say to a small group leader, hey, why don't you take an offering for those who can't rest but want to rest and see what we can do there. Uh, but I think those are the three layers that we are discerning and trying to put very clear action steps on, again, to create a culture of rest. Yeah. Can you say the three very clearly again for our listeners? Yeah, so, it's, so it's really about gen cultivating generosity mm -hmm. within community. Yeah. It's about economic empowerment. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, and that happens through our community development corporation. And then the larger, uh, addressing the, the larger policies related to living wage, uh, affordable housing, the, the larger economic forces that often stand in the way of people getting the rest that they need. And so what does it look like for us within our local community, within our local region, to think about the well-being of people economically so that they're able to experience the kind of rest that they want mm -hmm. and really need? Yeah. Do you think that your people have a sense of how intentionally you're working towards this culture of rest? Because I would think that if anyone, if your if your congregations, your congregants saw this and knew this, it would endear you to them incredibly to know that you're with them at this level, like working at it at this level. Norm Wiersbe in his book talks about a Sabbath economy yeah. in which we're all working together towards an economy that supports this for all. And it sounds like you're really doing that in your own corner of the world. And I would think that if, if you're, are your congregants aware of the levels at which you're working in order to empower this for them? You know, I think um, the, the people within our community that are most aware of this at, at, at this point, and I think this is a big pendulum shift that I'm bringing our community uh, and I'm leading our community into. And so our, our staff, our elders, our, our leadership community, I think are aware as we've been having conversations along these lines 
Uh, I think the larger community, I've preached on these things, but not mm-hmm. to the point where, all right, this is the particular initiative we have mm-hmm. for 2023, and we're going to build so much awareness that everyone who wants to rest, by God's grace, we're going to help to find rest. And so it hasn't happened on that level, but I could see us moving then in, the, in the coming year because it is something that I've been personally burdened mm-hmm. by, especially in the last couple of years. And I think that's been in my own shift, Ruth, in terms of I have not had the obstacles to find rest mm-hmm. in my role as a pastor. I'm well paid as a pastor. I have the freedom to have Sabbath. We have a culture yeah. mm-hmm. that values it tremendously, especially for our team. And so for me, I'm having a great time. I think it's emerged out of lots of conversations with people over the years who have pushed back on me Yes, and, and have told me, Rich, I'd love to do this, but I can't. And here's why. And I think that new reality has now forced me to say, okay, I just don't want this as a middle uh, to upward, you know, middle class, uh, upper class kind of thing here where those who have the means to do it can do it. How does everyone do it? So I, I think our team, our staff, our elders, our leadership community are aware of us moving in this direction more intentionally. I wouldn't say the larger community at this point is as aware mm-hmm. of my commitment to yeah moving us in this direction mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, it sounds like you're a bit on the front end and working with your the levels of, the different levels of leadership. That's right. Preparing probably to roll out something that others right. will be able to see and know and feel and mm-hmm. benefit from. Well, it's really, really exciting for me to talk to someone who sees this as being a much bigger issue than just a privatized personal discipline, individuals trying to figure out Sabbath in a culture that doesn't support it, but that there is a role for the church to play, which I believe so deeply that there, that the the church actually must play a significant role as it has to do Mm -hmm. with Sabbath or else most people are not going to be able to find a way to have it. That's absolutely right. And I think that's one of the gifts of the church where we can create culture and create new culture, Mm -hmm. not just critique it or copy it, but yeah, what a privilege we have and what a gift we have to create space for others to rest. I mm-hmm. I think what you know, to talk about Jesus as our rest, we find rest in Jesus is a beautiful beautiful theological, you know, foundation of everything that we do. But if that if that theological principle and truth is not really being embodied into the larger structures of our the ways that we're showing up together and being community with one another, for me, it just becomes empty platitudes and truth that's not really taking root in the ways that Jesus wants us mm-hmm. to. So, I mean, I'm wrestling with this. Um, mm. It's uh, significant. I have more questions than answers, but I think it's there, there's some really helpful next steps that I think our community will, will really benefit mm-hmm. from in the coming days. Well, it also sounds like it's coming. it's coming from a very authentic place inside you, a place where you've, you use the word burden, that you feel very burdened to lead mm-hmm. out in this way, but then also that you're living it at the level of your staff and elders. Could you say a little bit more for our listeners about how you all are living this out at the leadership level? Yeah, I'd yeah. love to hear more. Well, on, on, so, Like, is it true that you could be fired if you didn't practice Sabbath? <laughs> you know, when Pete, Pete mastered it in hyperbole, but I, I do think the point was made that mm-hmm. sooner or later, it's going to be very evident that's going to catch up to you, mm-hmm. that the culture that we're trying to create will inevitably spit out um, those who are not trying to embody. That sounds pretty harsh, but yeah. I think you know what I'm, what I'm saying. I do. I do. You're, not, you're not going to be able to, to stay here. 
uh, you're going to have a lack of integrity. You're, you're, it's going to leak out in obvious ways sooner or later. And so our staff, um, without question, the expectation, and this is something we have a pastoral rule of life mm-hmm. that we address with one another uh, a few times a year in which I just, again, re- go back and say, this is who we're called to be as a pastoral team. And keeping Sabbath is one of those very clear expectations that we have for our staff team. And so uh, we are clear in terms of, you know, who's keeping Sabbath when, you know, is it Friday night to Saturday nights, you know, for one person, Sunday night to Monday night for another, all day Monday or Friday, whatever it is. But without this is part of our, our culture and has been for a number of years. Uh, so will they get fired? <laughs> Here's what I have found. I have found that when we create a culture like this, whenever someone is struggling with it, it becomes the material that is addressed mm-hmm. because uh, I think they recognize the necessity of it. And so I've had plenty of conversations with our pastors where they say, well, I'm really struggling here, Rich, with keeping Sabbath and this is what's going on, as opposed to I'm not going to keep it to myself and then I'll find out three months later when they're totally burned out. Yeah. Uh, and so I think because we have held this value it's, you know, for 20 years, even before I became a staff member here at New Life, it is part of our ongoing conversation as a team. You know, how are your rhythms? How's your rest? Um, the third Wednesday of each month as a pastoral team, we have a day alone with God, which is kind of a mini Sabbath for eight hours in which our job that day is not to come into work, not to respond to emails. It is to go to the beach, the, a coffee house, a park and spend time paying attention to your soul. And so it's really a big part of who we are and what, and what we do. Mm-hmm. How do you find like one of the things that I address in in the book in my book is the seasons of life and how the different seasons of life might affect how we mm-hmm. practice Sabbath. So, yeah. you know, when we have young children in the home, when we have teenagers in the home, when we're single, when we're are in a caregiving season where we're caring yeah. intensely for others, and not that we're not going to practice Sabbath, but that it affects how we practice the Sabbath. What season of life are you in right now, and how are you experiencing Sabbath in your own life? Yeah, I have a 13-year-old daughter and mm-hmm. 8-year-old son, and Karis uh, and Nathan have lived into Sabbath since they were born. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, here's what I wish happened, Ruth. I, I wish, you know, we keep Sabbath. It begins 6 p.m. on Fridays, and we usually light a candle at our dining room table or kitchen, and we pray a Sabbath psalm, Psalm 90, and or Psalm 92, and... I wish when I lit that candle that my children started behaving like angels, mm-hmm. uh, just like right there, like the Holy Spirit just comes and the demons start manifesting mm-hmm. right immediately when I light, light the candle. <laughs> and so uh, I've discovered Sabbath has every week brings with it challenge. Mm-hmm. And the challenge in my season I'm in right now is the challenge of young, young children. Right. And, you know, they want to be on their devices all the time. And so when I say, hey, we're, we're going to take a break from our devices, I wish my children just said, you know what, Dad, that's a great idea. And, and we will be honoring God 
by being present to one another and present to God's presence. No, I don't hear that. I hear why. I know I should. You said I should do what's fun on the Sabbath. This is what's fun to me. And, and 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 I'm going. What the? I don't want to tell you what I. What no, I, you don't need what, to. What am yes. I saying? Here? I can feel it. <laughs> what is going on here? Mm. However, I would say one of the things that we did very early on with my own family is we really incentivize Sabbath and try to associate it with joy and delight mm. more than anything else. And so my daughter, as a five-year-old, I remember she came out of school one day saying, hey, Dad, you know what today is? And I said, it's Friday. She said, no, it's Sabbath. Mm. We go to get to haagen We get ice cream today. And I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. We'll get some ice cream. And so they have associated Sabbath. Or we've tried, we worked really hard to associate it with delight and mm-hmm. joy. And so that's something that we prioritize. Yet at the same time, it's just a struggle. And the only thing I can come back to, my wife Rosie and I, we say, well, that was a mess. You know, we thought that was going to be restorative and restful. And mm-hmm. I find myself sometimes more tired after Sabbath yes. with young children than anything mm-hmm. else, which is why back to the community thing, what we've discovered is as a family unit, that the best Sabbaths happen when other families are involved yeah. and having rhythms for that. That's been really important for us. But having two young children over the years, it's been hit or miss Mm -hmm. in terms of was that truly restful or not? And I suppose I don't know if I'll be out of the season anytime soon. Mm -hmm. Well, it sounds like you're at least ceasing your normal work and patterns and being in your family in a different way, at least you. Yes. You know, there's no sermons, Mm -hmm. no counseling, no emails. And that's something that I've done for a number of years. Yeah. It's beautiful. Well, um, in the book, in the book that I've just released, I have a chapter called Leading a Sabbath Community. And in that chapter, I tell the story of Pastor Dan, who is someone who is, you know, pastoring in a busy uh, urban environment like you are, and, you know, begins to realize that what he's been doing in terms of collapsing on Sundays after preaching is not the same thing as having a Sabbath. And uh, has a, he has a good spiritual director who's helping him to think about his own Sabbath rhythms. And so he has a really life transforming experience with his own Sabbath keeping with support, with the help of a spiritual director, and then eventually starts bringing it into his community. And one of the places in the story that I wanted to talk to you about was the place where he starts to bring it to his staff and they they embrace his heart in sharing Sabbath with them. And at the same time, they are beginning to experience the fact that Sabbath will mess with you as a community. So Pastor Dan brings this idea of starting a Saturday night service. So they have two on Sundays, but he brings this very, quote, strategic idea of starting a Saturday night service, which is always strategic, right? (laughs) Anybody who brings that idea, of course, it is strategic. Doesn't make it God's will, but it is strategic. (laughs) And so there's someone in the group who has enough courage to raise the question, well, what will this mean for our practice of Sabbath? Because they had already been starting to move in that direction. And so, you know, it got a little tense because Pastor Dan had to acknowledge that there was a certain amount of ego in him that wanted to start this Saturday night service and show how successful he was. But eventually they tabled the conversation for a bit and continued to grow in their practice of Sabbath before revisiting it, just to be sure that they've got the Sabbath practice really embedded before they start adding things. And the point I make there. Um, in terms of process, the process of becoming a Sabbath community is that 
hopefully over time, whenever you bring up a new initiative or some sort of innovation, somebody in the room is going to bring up the question, how will this affect our sacred rhythms? How will this affect our ability to keep Sabbath? So I was wondering, have you ever experienced that kind of thing in your own life in leading a Sabbath community where there's been some initiative that seems like it's a good idea on some level, but you recognize that it may not fit? in your desire and your commitment to Sabbath keeping in your community. I'd love to hear more from you about that. Yeah. I mean, we've had absolutely lots of seasons where we've had to wrestle with that. And very similar to what the example you just gave with Pastor Dan, we spend a lot of time at New Life equipping, teaching, workshops, seminars, and we used to have a lot of them on Saturdays. And, you know, lots of folks work full-time jobs and Saturday becomes an opportunity for them to come in. And we realized, I mean, at least I realized this, I I remember 2014, 2015, I had become the pastor in 2013 and I wanted to, you know, again, make my mark. I mean, Mm -hmm. us pastors have lots of, lots of similarities here Mm -hmm. in terms of our strategies and such. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just equip and, you know, these are now I'm leading this flock now. And uh, I do thank God for, those people in our church, and, and I have a few of them, who say, but Rich, what about the Sabbath? Mm-hmm. What about the, the resting here? And so that has been, we have made some significant adjustments in terms of what happens on Saturdays in particular. Yes, good. And for us, one of the, one of the words that I have a love-hate relationship with that I, I think is quite pervasive within our community is the word limits. Uh, you know, what does it mean to embrace our limits? Mm-hmm. I have a love-hate relationship with limits because I want to transcend every mm-hmm. limit that's before me. Yet at the same time, I recognize I, I'm called to embrace them. That it might have been Origen who said something along the lines of, what you know, one of the violations in the garden uh, was, or, you know, sin was manifested in this way. They went beyond their limit, Adam and Eve. And whenever we go beyond our limits, we enter into Satan's territories, that kind of language there. and 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 so... I've had to pull back significantly, especially like on Saturdays. And what we've done is over the years, we've invited our congregation, recognizing that not everyone has the same schedule, Mm -hmm. but we've given two slots where we invite people to keep Sabbath and keep it together. That's Friday night to Saturday night or Saturday Mm. night to Sunday night. And that's kind of language we've used in different contexts to say, if we're going to do this as a community, that doesn't mean you can't do it on Monday because you're, you might have to work on Saturday or Sunday. But using that kind of language has been helpful for us to be on the same page. But I think this is language that the language of limits and Sabbath is one that we're running up against mm. on a regular basis, which on some level is a good thing. And others is very frustrating for me mm-hmm. because I, I do want to move the ball forward. I do want to move faster than we do. And and yet I have experiences when I've done that, that it's actually caused more harm than anything. So I think that is a every pastor's temptation Mm -hmm. uh, and one that I'm fully acquainted with. Yeah. How is God meeting you in that struggle? Do you have a sense of it? Where is God for you in the midst of that struggle, which is very it's very well stated. And I agree with you that almost probably all pastors struggle right there, Uh, you know. I think for me, what it does for me is it it helps me go back to the fundamental questions of my own identity 
who am I? Uh, I am I what I produce? Am I how I lead? Am I the good sermons I preach? Am I am I the size of you know? Is my identity rooted in the size of our church? I think those questions are ones that come up on a regular basis for me. I it's easy, very easy for me to find my identity in so many other things, which is why you know Jesus's story of his baptism and then the temptation in the wilderness is kind of like my pastoral life verse. Am I going to live according to the message that I'm God's beloved, or am I going to try to prove my identity through greater programs and greater achievements? And so I think the limits conversation on a regular basis calls me back to the center of my own striving. That's how God has come to me. Mm -hmm. And am I going to rest in that truth that I'm loved by God, Mm -hmm. or am I going to, again, once again, try to prove that I'm the right Mm -hmm. pastor for this church? Mm And um, I can't say I do it right all the time, but I think that's what's emerging in me on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like God is meeting you with really penetrating questions then in that struggle. I mean, those are the the deepest kinds of questions we could be asking, right? Exactly right. Rich, who are you? Where where is your identity rooted in? That's right. That's what comes to the surface, at least in my life, when I'm Mm -hmm. rubbing against these limits that often Sabbath imposes Mm -hmm. uh, in a good way on me. Yeah. Well, it takes courage to be present to those kinds of questions. So hats off to you that you're at least able to stay present and willing to stay present. Doesn't mean I'm always living. I know, I know. But at least you're staying present and you can hear the question. Some people are living at such a pace they're not even hearing that question. So and it is the right it is the right question. Well, you know, a a bit of language that I introduce in this book is the language of of becoming a Sabbath community or leading a Sabbath community. Um, Would you consider your church to be a Sabbath community then? It sounds like it by all definitions that I would think of. I would say yes, but I would say there's kind of gradations to it. Mm -hmm. And uh, a Sabbath community insofar that this is a theological value that's embraced and proclaimed Mm -hmm. and preached it's something that's taught on a regular basis. It's it's a way that we're organizing our congregation and our leadership mm-hmm. a- around the, the principle and, and the practice of it. The, the, my only hesitation with saying that is, is not nearly as pervasive as I want it to mm-hmm. be. Like for th- from our staff, from our elders, from our leadership community, I have expectations and we have expectations of those, think about those concentric circles, those groups mm-hmm. of people there. And yet I recognize as a pastor that to, to expect 100% participation on everything is really quite unrealistic to have about anything. Yeah. So if I gave myself a little grace, I would say, yeah, we are a Sabbath community, even though there's still lots of gaps that I know we need to fill. Mm-hmm. We wanted to pause for a moment and express our gratitude to our sponsor. The season of our podcast is sponsored by Goodkind. Goodkind is all about helping people cultivate the good kind of habits and holiday practices that allow them to engage with God and one another throughout the year. They have a great tool for Advent and also a Sabbath box to help you practice Sabbath with your family and so much more. So to learn more about them and the products that they make, you can find them at goodkind.shop. 
Well, in this new book, at the end of every chapter, I give people a chance to ask the question, what does your soul want to say to God? Because I think that the Sabbath practice has to emerge from our souls. It has to emerge from that place where we long for a life-giving way of life. It has to emerge from a sense of God's invitation, the goodness of it, the gift of it, a sense of being called and invited by God into this great gift. I really don't want to be a part of seeing Sabbath as an ought or a should. I want to see it coming from that that deeper place. And so with each of my guests, we've asked each other the question, what does your soul want to say to God? What's been stirred in your soul within this conversation? And so Rich, I'm going to ask you that question. You can kick the question to me if you want to. But as we conclude this conversation, and thank you so much for such an honest and practical conversation, I really appreciate it. What's stirring in your soul as we conclude this conversation? What is your soul wanting to say to God um, in this context? Yeah. Practicing Sabbath for 14 years has brought about, I I think, lots of wonderful fruit in my life. And I can't imagine myself leading without it. I can't imagine the state of my family without it. I can see the havoc that would emerge out of my leadership without, without having this in my life. And yet, you know, what would I want to ask God? I would probably ask God, Lord, is there is there another dimension of soul rest that's available mm-hmm. for me? I know what it's like to stop my work. I know what it's like to put pause on sermon prep and emails and counseling and strategizing and all that. I'm pretty good at that, actually. But Lord, is there a way that you can lead me into not just resisting work, but actually finding rest, true rest for my soul and and for my body. And I think just because I stopped the work doesn't mean that there's something deeper in me that's wondering about my achievements and my accomplishments and such and who I am. So yeah, I'm asking God, Lord, is, is there is there a deeper rest that you have for me that the Sabbath can, uh, you know, can be, get that, that can be expressed as I am practicing Sabbath with my family. That's something that comes to mind. I'm curious, Ruth, what you would ask, but that's what's on my soul. Yeah. Um, I know how to stop the work, but stopping work does not necessarily mean rest. Yes, yes. That is a beautiful knowing. And as God brings you to mind, I'm going to pray for you in that because it's a beautiful question. A couple things that I'm stirred by. One is just the vision that you've expressed for how you want to see your church Mm. begin to, not begin, but continue to lead out and to lead in helping people find rest through cultivating generosity among your congregants so that they help one another with this, getting involved in economic issues, and even getting involved in the policies that affect whether or not people economically can actually make this choice. And I think what's stirring for me, and it's more than just an idea, it's that I, I think about Moses when I hear what you say, that that the practice of Sabbath came in and through the senior anointed leader to the Israelites, working at these levels. We know that in the Old Testament, um, Moses's leadership was very much working at all these kinds of levels. Mm-hmm. And it just stirred in me just a sense of you as um, being a little bit like Moses in that regard, 
seeking to do more than just have a great idea, but actually getting in the trenches with people and helping them the way that he did. So I was very stirred by that, and I know that I'll reflect on that. The other thing that you said that stirred something in me was when you said that every week uh, Sabbath brings a challenge. And I really hear your challenge, which has primarily to do with having young children, but I do experience that to be true, that every Sabbath has its own particular challenge relative to the unplugging, relative to the ceasing and stopping, relative to the temptations that there are for all of us who are in leadership. And I think maybe why it stirs for me is that it, it, it helps me to think about being prepared, not just for the goodness of the rest, but also for whatever challenge might come. And to try to be a little bit more like alert for the challenge and a little bit more vigilant to be ready to meet the challenge and still mm. make the decision that is the best uh, for my soul relative to the rest that God's holding out for me. So to be prepared every week to meet the, sa- the challenge that Sabbath might bring and mm. to be more vigilant in how I respond. And I have to say, Ruth, I, I love that. Here's why we talk a lot about preparing for Sabbath mm-hmm. and, you know, what do we need to do so that we can enter into that? And I'll tell you what, I have not prepared my heart for what you just mentioned there. So it's like, all right, let's prepare to make sure there's no dishes mm-hmm. or we want to get rid of the laundry. So we don't have to think about it. But preparing my heart for the actual resistance. Yes. that That's really, really insightful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's inside us, you know, that's no. within our the dynamics of our relationships. So, so um, anyway, thank you for that. I, I'm really grateful to be listening to God in the depths of our beings as we conclude this conversation. And now for our listeners, you know what I'm going to say. Don't just rush off, but you take a moment, too, to do what Rich and I just did together, and that is pay attention to what your soul wants to say to God and somehow create a little bit of space to say it, whether it's out loud in a prayer, whether it's in some journaling, whether it's just sitting in silence and feeling your own longing and desire as a response to this conversation. Don't rush on too fast. But listen for what your soul needs and wants to say to God and say it before getting on to the next thing in your life. Thank you, Rich, for a very meaningful conversation. And the Lord bless you in your Sabbath practice. Thank you so much. So Mm -hmm. good to be with you. Thank you.